So in this episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast, Gemma and I are delighted to be joined by Mike Barry, former Director of Sustainability at M&S. So Mike, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Michelle, Gemma, great to be with you today. Well, Mike, you and I kind of got in, I got in touch with you a couple of months ago and we had a conversation and um, you uh, were talking about the action and intention group. And I think, you know, since then, I don't know whether it's because uh, we're more involved in the conversations and the threads and more, I, you know, Michelle and I often say, once you see this stuff, you can't unsee it. But, you know, the headlines, the pledges, the noise around sustainability is absolutely huge at the moment. You know, there's conversations happening and I find it quite overwhelming at times. You've got the world leaders, you've got the biggest organisations, you've got billionaires, you know, they always have to come in somewhere. And then on the flip side, we've got the reports, the studies, the scientists, the NGOs all, re- all talking about, you know, progress is too slow. With so much noise and information out there at the moment, what is your view on, you know, what's happening really? Uh, because you post an awful lot of stuff that I read um, on both sides. What is your view about the current noise levels around sustainability and what people are talking about? Well, I'm going to start with a literary quote, Charles Dickens. We live in the best of times and the worst of times. So the worst of times is simple to me. Whatever we imagine the the impact of the climate crisis will be, it's far worse. And I'm speaking now as a scientist, a chemist, understanding the numbers. I'm really worried about where this world is going very rapidly in terms of the impact it's going to have on soon to be 8 billion people on this planet, our way of life, the economy that supports our way of life. We're underestimating those impacts. And it's not just, obviously, the climate crisis, biodiversity loss, it's plastic pollution, it's inequality. Wherever I look, globalisation 1.0, let's say 1980 to 2020, it's failed. We need, we need to replace it with a new system, one that is delivers for people, absolutely delivers for people, but delivers for planet and society at the same time as well. And that's not what we've got. So that's my real sort of warning for us all. We're not in a good place. And I see lots of great announcements coming out over the last six, 12 months. Wonderful. You know, I'm really pleased we're having them. But at the moment, the subscale, their ambition rather than action, I think some of them blur into the world of greenwash, frankly, but we start again. Now, that's the challenge. The opportunity lies here. For the first time, we talk about sustainability not as a reputational risk, a bad day on the front page of The Guardian, Greenpeace beat you up for a day, and then life goes back to normal. For the first time, sustainability is a true disruptor of how we do business. Yep. It started with the power sector hooked on coal, now rapidly having to come out of coal into the world of wind, because wind's outperforming on price as well as being cleaner. The same with the diesel petrol car industry, laughing at electric vehicles three years ago. Tesla is now worth more than all the car companies on the planet put together. The next sector to be disrupted in the same way is the world food system, which is both suffering the worst impacts of climate change, but also causing a lot of them itself. So we need a new food system. So all around me, I'm looking at a model that basically says, if you're a complacent business leader, even a greenwashing business leader, you ain't going to be here in five years' time because you're going to be irrelevant. The marketplace has moved past you in terms of what we've done. That's positive. I look at citizen research. I've read 180 different papers over the last three months about views around the world as to how people feel about sustainability. Even in the pandemic, 70% of people in virtually every marketplace in the world are saying, I want action. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. To quote the old Henry Fordism, if I'd listened to my customer, I'd have given them a faster horse. They don't know what the answer is, but they know they do want an answer. So citizens are asking for it. And then finally, belatedly, governments demanding legally that the entire economy decarbonizes. 
net zero goals 2050, UK, Europe, um, Japan, South Korea, China 2060, and of course Biden's America joining the race now as well. So they're my wing skills. I see some terrible things, and I see some emerging better things. And do you think, I mean, you, you mentioned there that the citizens want it, the governments are doing it. There's also, I was reading this morning about financiers and now the new activists. You know, we've, we've had, read about the Black Rocks. We've mentioned it before, you know, and, and finances. Uh, the bankers are really putting pressure on organisations to, 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 to make some changes. What is it going to take? I mean, Gemma and I are very transparent when we say when we started writing sustainable marketing, that came from a desire to to really just focus a little bit more on responsible marketing because we'd seen this level of overconsumption, this throwaway mentality that that marketing is really very closely aligned with in many ways. You know, with I remember speaking to a climate scientist, he said, I don't want to speak to marketers, you're the bad guys. You know, you 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 help to to market all of this and uh, and a part of the problem. But where what can people be doing to practically make some changes in all of this? Because these weighing scales, as you say, are there. There's good stuff to do. There's there's negative stuff to do there. Is it finance that needs to be driving this? Is it regulation that needs to? Is it all inextricably linked? Do organizations need to be starting from scratch? What, 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 do, what do they need to do? So, Michelle, great question. And it's all of the above. You know, I've talked about the power of the of marketplace competition. I've talked about system pressure. I've talked about, I'm talking about technology breakthrough now. So the fourth industrial revolution, the digital AI big data for the first time allows us to get our arms around consumption. And the world's biggest retailers are going to be selling 100 billion items a year. Yeah. All from tens of thousands of factories and farms and being sold to hundreds of millions of consumers. Even if you have the ambition to decarbonize that, do something useful about it. You couldn't do it with a pen, a paper, a spreadsheet, and an abacus in, in the way that I would sort of cut my teeth at m We now have the tools to get our arms around it. But the elephant in the room is consumption. So I spent 20 years at m working hard to make the, sure that behind the scenes, the way it produced things was better. Better factories, farms, shops, lorries, you name it. m did a brilliant job. But the elephant in the room is consumption. So the last decade, 90% of our efforts were about production. And 10% was a little bit of chit-chat with the consumer. The next decade has got to be a 50-50 split. Not because we do less on sustainable production, we need to double down on that, but we need to face into consumption. Do you really need it? If you do need it, can you buy it secondhand? Can you rent it? Can you repair it? When you finish with it, can you resell it, donate it, whatever it may be? We need a fundamentally different relationship with stuff. We absolutely do. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and we've seen, I mean, I was reading again, that the, I think it was the head of product at Patagonia was saying, you know, yeah, we have reuse. Yeah, we have repair. Yes, we're even looking at renting some of our, uh, our, our equipment, but we need to stop making it. We need to reduce the lines. And this is coming from, you know, head of production who for businesses that, that are, I suppose, reliant on selling more stuff. This is really about innovating, isn't it? And rethinking business. This is about rethinking retail. So this goes to the heart of, of what we just spoke about, all these corporate announcements for the last six months. Yeah. What, what they're not grounded in is any sense of understanding what needs to be done. There's a nice press release. Lots of people in the good PR department have worked really hard to get a number in, get it signed off for a, big, a, a busy business, dealing with the pandemic and all these short-term pressures. I respect that. But 
but no one has thought through the reality of stripping carbon out of our way of life, changing every lorry, every factory, every farm, every product, every home. You know, one of the things that we face now in the UK is that we've done a pretty good job of decarbonizing the electricity system. Tick, well done. It happened behind the scenes. One financier, one politician, and one energy magnet sat in a room and came up with a deal of shifting coal to offshore wind. Brilliant. But the electrons just flowed into our laptops and lights, no change. As we start to change the heating system in 29 million homes in Britain, change every car in Britain from petrol to diesel to electric and have to charge it in a different way, it's all about behaviour change. We can't do it in isolation from people and say, we're going to be back in 10 years' time with the answer. We have to explain to people why we have to change, how we change, how we make it easy for you. And frankly, if you do change, how life frankly can be better. Cleaner air from driving electric cars, as well as solving the climate crisis. I guess, I mean, one thing I read this week, I think it was the Guardian that put it out, is that, you know, to get out of the economic crisis, all the short-term thinking, as you say, is coming into play. And actually, they're saying 2021, uh, investors are going to go down investing in coal um, and fossil fuels even more to try and drive our way out of that. So when you read something like that, when you see all of the good going on, it, it sometimes just completely dashes your hope and you think, what's the point? What, what are your views around, you know, when you read that we're doing all of this stuff and then just to get us out of, a, of, a, of an, I know the economic crisis is enormous. I'm not underplaying that at all. But to do something so damaging, all the money in the world, all the profits in the world don't matter if the world doesn't exist, does it? And Gemma, you're spot on. I, everybody's personal greatest strength is their greatest weakness. My greatest strength is I'm an eternal optimist. My greatest weakness is I'm an eternal optimist. And I too, again, as a scientist, look at the way that the world is moving today, it is moving in the wrong direction quickly. And as much as I'm really pleased to see all these national commitments and business commitments, I don't think they are sufficient to turn the tide in the, at the pace that we need to change. I think we're rather assuming, and again, this is a lot of, one of the problems with the net zero carbon world that the business is getting into. Everybody thinks, yeah, well, you know, 2040, 2050, 2030 years time, well, we'll, you know, we'll do something in 10 years time. We need to halve carbon emissions on this planet in just 10 years. Yeah. Less, 2030, halve them from where we are today. And that's not just ship switching to LED lights or turning off your, your telly that's on standby. That's a profound and fundamental shift in how we take raw materials out of the planet. We use 100 billion tons on this planet of raw material every year to get the world's economy going. We reuse or recycle 7%. Yes, 7%. I know. I, I, and that's, I, I these that. are the numbers mm. that we need to, to, to remember. Now, there's always a little complication that we need to be humble about. If you're China, you're India, you're South Africa, you look at all the Western economies that got richer over the last 10, 100 years, and think, you're asking me to cut my nose to spite my face and not develop myself? Yeah. So I think, again, there's a real issue here about equity, justice. And I think, again, I look at a lot of these environmental plans for corporates. They're very environmentally focused. Good. What about people? So as much as I want to see us get out of the oil industry, the coal industry, the diesel industry, what do all the people who work in those industries do? We can't just chuck them a scrappy. We have to retrain them, reskill them to work on wind turbines, electric cars, green society as well, helping farmers not farm beef but farm carbon. So again, we need to put people at the heart of this conversation as well. 
I, I t- totally agree. And that's not easy, is it? And and I suppose as, as people, because, you know, we all know we've all worked on big projects and people always get in the way. And uh, this is what we need to do. It's really simple. But of course, you can't get there because the people can get in the way. And it was interesting. I had a conversation yesterday with... Um, Dr. Alex Miss Food, who's coming on our podcast. But one of the things she was saying is that psychologically, we are now even more conditioned for instant gratification. We expect from a consumerism, we expect to be able to, oh, I just hit button and buy and the things arrive on my door the next day. And so these targets that we've set, I mean, Gemma and I have talked about this, you know, gosh, it's always going to seem like it's somebody else's problem because they're so far in the future to a degree. But, and if you've got children, then of course, you start to be concerned about those futures. But if you're in this society that we are growing of this instant gratification, those those numbers just seem even further away because we just want problems solved now. And of course, that's not going to be the case, is it? We've got to we've got to really start making radical changes now to create change that's going to be affected in even now in in a in a in a greater distance into the future. And what's a wonderful point, because I, I, I cut my teeth 20 years ago on this issue about food months. You know, why, why do we bring food across the world when we grow it all in the UK with a low carbon footprint? Within reason, within reason, the carbon footprint of actual transport, unless you're air freighted, is incidental. The actual carbon is embedded in making the product, and whether, whether it's made in New Zealand or the UK, it's embedded carbon. We're seeing exactly the same now with the digital transformation. People yeah. ask the question, is the digital footprint or carbon footprint of online shopping different from physical? Not really. It's the same product. It's just delivered in a different way to your home. Now, if, if all the vans that deliver it to your home go electric and rather than you driving your diesel car to the shop, something to be said for that, though you do lose the social cohesion of having a high street rather than shop at home, tap away on a computer. But overall, it's all about embedded carbon in the sheer volume of stuff we consume. 2019, the world consumed 130 billion pieces of clothing and footwear before. Even if we just stand still and allow for population growth, that's heading for 200 billion. So there is something here that says all these corporate plans are predicated on just making the surrounding system of delivering production more efficient. Yeah. But people are still expecting to sell the same amount of stuff in 10 years' time as they do today. Can't do that. And I think, you know, as, as we're having this conversation, I guess... You know, there's been a huge amount of there's, there's greenwashing to watch out for. And, you know, Michelle and I have been answering some questions sent in to us around greenwashing and what to look out for. And every time we go and re- go away and research these, it's a, a different way of doing it or another thing to look out for. And ESG also blown up recently in terms of those organisations making the top top five list, you know, and, and, and how ESG reports are being massaged, I guess, and, and the language around it all, you know, anything that says we aim to or we're looking at or, you know, anything that's deliberately vague, I think, you know, it should be a should be a watch out. So in terms of, you know, not everyone can have um, this conversation with you to understand the details behind. So what do you think um, in terms of what people's reliable sources they need to go to? How can people navigate the good and the bad and, and not give up hope? So two, two, three very brief points. I mean, first, if you're a professional in space, I, I look for businesses that can answer three questions for sustainability. Why am I doing it strategically? What am I committing to do to become sustainable? How am I integrating it into a business? So I'm looking for a business that's truly understood the meta changes that are happening both scientifically 
in terms of the consumer, in terms of regulation, in terms of new business models, the disruption of coal to wind, for example. I'm looking for businesses to understand what's really going on. It's not a reputational issue. It goes to the heart of my business model. The second thing I'm looking for is people that actually set meaningful goals, but then do something about it. So what we did at M&S with, with Plan A, we created a delivery machine to go alongside the thinking machine. The thinking machine came up with the right numbers. Could I stop there? I've gone grain ahead because I worked with a really good team of delivery agents to actually make that stick. And that's really hard. And the third thing I'm looking for a business is a business that's truly integrated all of this into everything it does. The conversation with its colleagues, its customers, its shareholders, the policy system, the competition that exists in its, its marketplace. And too many businesses are doing one of those three things at best and usually badly. So you, as a professional, you look for three things. The second thing that you can look for is there's more and more benchmarking now of businesses to separate the wheat from the chaff. And again, Greenpeace does it in terms of plastics. Um, we've seen that business, uh, business benchmark and food animal welfare do it for the approach of treating animals in food supply chains. Again, benchmarks all the world's biggest food companies. Banks are benchmarks. Um, Share Action just benchmarks 75 of the world's biggest asset owners. Um, gave them an A to E ranking. 50% of them had D or E ranking. Shocking. Yeah. But you can start to now separate the bullshit from the reality of actually who's doing some good stuff. And the final thing is, people are de- deeply cynical. I mean, the best numbers I, I see at the moment is say about 12% of people trust big corporate business. 80% of people trust doctors and medics. No surprising, after the brilliant job in the pandemic. But if business continues to greenwash, there ain't no hiding place. You're going to be discovered. You're going to be thrown on the scrap heap. But not say, not through a bad day in the Guardian for one day. You will be literally be put out of business. Now, it needs to happen quicker, sooner, with more scale. Of course it does. But there are sources out there that separate the wheat from the chaff. We are going to end with our wonderful quick fire questions. Mike, we ask all our guests these questions. Can marketing save the planet? No, as it's currently constituted. We need a fundamentally different relationship with consumption. That's the business models, our way of thinking. And then we need a different way of bringing that to life for the person that uses it, the citizen that uses the products and services we sell. So this is, this is not about sort of having a nice green advertising campaign within the overall paradigm of marketing. No. This is a fundamental root and branch change to consumption and the machines that serve it today. Marketing and advertising being a classical case. Perfect. And Mike, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? Again, a business that have put this whole issue of consumption at the very heart of their actions to build a better future, not just working on sustainable production, but fundamentally addressing the products and services they provide society. And they have to be great food, great clothing, great cars, great, great experience and holding. We all want that. But it has to be done in a profoundly different way. And not just a scientifically lower footprint, but one that feels meaningful to the person using that product and service. So they feel part and they participate in it rather than just having it done for them. And we need to drink, draw ultimately eight, nine billion people into that conversation. With us. Yeah. And our final question, um, if you were to give one piece of advice to others um, who are getting started with sustainable marketing, what would it be? I love my friends at Marketing Kind. I think they're generating a conversation just like the conversation here that's allowing people from across the sector, whether their overall corporate business is committed to this or not, they're allowing people to have a conversation with like-minded people and say there has to be better ways. 
and what do we do about it? And I think marketing can reform and change itself from within. It's full of super smart people, many of whom may individually care passionately about these issues. Yeah. They need to feel that they've got permission to reinvent marketing and advertising consumption for the better. Brilliant. Well, we couldn't agree more. We couldn't agree more, Mike. It's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. and your insights. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, and we look forward to staying in touch with all the work that you're doing and uh, sharing all the great work on our podcast uh, and our site to our listeners. Michelle, Gemma, thank you very much. 